Hello fellow time travelers and welcome to the Doctor Who Target Book Club, the book club podcast in which we undertake the massive project of discussing in story order all of the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Witt and today as always we have a three-person discussion panel including our so-called expert who's been a Doctor Who fan since 1979, that would be me. We also have our intermediate level casual fan who has seen several episodes but has not previously read any of the books. And this time around, it's our good friend Danny Celadon. Hello, Danny. Hello, how are you? And finally, representing the novice fan who has seen little to none of the original series and previously read none of the books, we have the always lovely Sheena Anapera. Hello. All right, today we're looking at the novelization of the very first Doctor Who story, but strangely enough, it's not the very first novelization. There is a story behind that, but in the meantime, here are some fast facts. Doctor Who and an Unearthly Child, written by Terence Dixon, adapted from the story written by Anthony Coburn that aired from 122363 to 121463, published by Target Books in 1981. As of this recording in December of 2016, this title is currently out of print, 119 pages. All right, so a few things to tell you about this book. Uh, First of all, it's the 68th in the range though it's published 65th, and it's Terence Dick's 41st Doctor Who book. So this is by no means his first one. Jesus. He had done 40 by this point. At this point, at when the books were being written, he managed to get his writing speed down to a month per book. Wow. Except this one had to be rushed. This one had to be rushed because it was 1981, the incoming producer of Doctor Who, John Nathan Turner, wanted to do a season of repeats, and they wanted to do the very first Doctor Who story, and someone realized, oh, it's never been novelized. We need to have a novelization of this pretty quickly. So they asked Terrence Sticks to do it in a faster time than normal. How long would you guess it took him to write this, Sheena? Two weeks. Exactly two weeks. It took him a fortnight to write this book. Wow. Yes, which may or may not explain any flaws that we may find in it as we're discussing it. (laughs) So just for those of you at home who may not be familiar with the story, though, if you're not, why are you listening to this podcast? You should know the story by now. Uh, The story of an unearthly child is that two school teachers, Ian and Barbara, get really curious about a student of theirs who is indeed unearthly, and it turns out she is unearthly because her grandfather's an alien, she's an alien, they get kidnapped, and they get taken back to prehistoric times in which they have a search for fire. So... Let's start with Sheena and ask, what are your first impressions of this um, book? My first impression was it was a quick read. Mm-hmm. Um, it was quite interesting since I haven't really read any of the Doctor Who novels. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it enjoyable. Um, I did feel like it was a quick story. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would probably be something we're going to talk about later. All right. But um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It definitely made me want to read another story just because it was nice and easy. So I enjoyed that. Terrific. Okay, Danny, what were your, what were your impressions? I, I think so, too. The, the, the story was, was very quick. Uh, I did not know that it was written in two weeks, and it doesn't <laughs> really doesn't read that way. I mean, it is quick, but not two weeks quick. So Yeah, it doesn't have that rushed quality that you would think that it would have. And that's really a testament to 
Dix is riding. That's going to be hard to say. Dix is riding. Dix is riding. Dix is riding. Sounds like a band name. It does. (laughs) Or or a bad porn joke. We're going to have a lot of dick jokes, unfortunately. Because he's written a lot of books. Um, How did it uh, fulfill or defy your expectations? Um, It fulfilled my expectations in a sense. I mean, I had nothing to expect. Right. Because I'd never read anything. But um, I, I... it fulfilled it in the sense that it made me want to read more. Mm-hmm. So that's how I would explain it being fulfilling mm-hmm. because it made me interested. So yeah. it's kind of like the first hit. Yeah, it was like, exactly. And then I'm like, okay, well, I'll take some more then. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. You know, having watched the episode before, um, it was some time ago that I've seen it. It was interesting to see how the author was was going to portray the different characters, seeing as to how this is like an, an introduction to all the characters, and I think it was pretty spot on. It's you kind of get the feeling of who everyone is. Yeah, and that's kind of what the story has to do, being the very first story. The thing is, obviously, that anyone reading this in 1981 already knows who the Doctor is. Right. They already know what the TARDIS yeah. is, and that's why we get that really interesting intro to this book Mm -hmm. with the policeman going into the junkyard and checking around and seeing the TARDIS sitting there, not knowing it's a TARDIS, but saying there's a police box there. And that would also probably be, I mean, I had never seen the episode. Mm -hmm. So in most books, when it's the first book, they kind of describe clothing or how someone looks and there's a little more detail in that sense. Mm -hmm. But I didn't get any of that. So that would probably, you know what I mean? Like that usually when you're first introducing characters, there's some sort of like, and he was a tall, slender man with, you know, and there was nothing like that. But I mean, Mm -hmm. it was still, you know, I still have, I guess it's kind of good in my way because I have a whole thought in my own head kind of well i do i i am interested to see mm-hmm. what it really looked like so you'd want to see the episode definitely after having definitely, seen this. definitely i i can't say it's going to be all that interesting yeah <laughs> <laughs> because of various clan of the cave bear type yeah deal, but on a bbc budget mm-hmm. 1963 I can so see it's, that. it's very bare bones and yet yeah it has its interesting moments danny what were you saying before about you were talking about the description of the doctor since we're talking about descriptions, um, more along the lines of like this, like descriptions of of their personalities. Mm-hmm. I I think the author did a very good job of letting everyone's personality shine through. Certainly, he he explains their motives as they're they're going through whatever dialogue they're going through. Like mm-hmm. you can you can see like their thought process behind like oh he's feeling very very arrogant about this or he's he's feeling very you know whatever whatever the case is right you know he he makes sure to to take time to to explain that as he goes along through mm-hmm. the, the plot yeah he even does that for the policeman at mm-hmm. the very beginning and that's something that that scene actually is in the episode but you just see the policeman come through as the theme is playing, and then he goes out again, and then you see the TARDIS, and you get the first title screen, and that's it. But he actually gives that character not a name or anything, but he gives him some motivations. The guy just wants to get home, get some sweet tea, get some sausage sandwiches, and then the next day he finds out that the two school teachers have vanished, and so is the police box, and he doesn't put it together in his head, because who would put three people in a police box? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The characters were definitely described by their personality, that's for mm-hmm. sure. That's something that wasn't lacking. You can tell each 
person, like what kind of things like scared them or, you know, what they were good at mm-hmm. and things like that. So that was very, um, that was a good character builder, I thought. Mm-hmm. Well, as someone who hasn't seen the episode and is probably not familiar with this version of the Doctor, what did you think of his description of the Doctor and his characterization? Um, my description, like, like how would I think he looked? Yeah, let's start there. Um, I would think he was kind of a thin man, old but not too old. Mm-hmm. And I would just see him, I don't know, I kind of not unkept, but very um erratic mm-hmm. type looking, and that's pretty much what I thought of cuz they said he was old, but he wasn't that old. So I was thinking like 50s. Um, the, the actor was in his fifties, yeah, but that's he's portraying a character who's much older. Yeah, obviously. I would. I was thinking he must be older than he is because mm-hmm. he's an alien, but he probably didn't look incredibly old. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought. That's about right. Would you say that that's spot on with the yeah. description? Because you're familiar with Hartnell. Yeah. In fact, what were you? We were talking about this the other night. You were saying that one of the things you liked most about this book was its depiction of the Doctor, and. How uh, how did you put it? Said he was just a complete asshole in this. <laughs> yeah, he 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 has a quite a few moments where he's just kind of a dick about everything. Okay. So well, there's the one scene where where uh, the tiger has attacked one of the cavemen and Za. Yeah. Yeah. The. Yeah, the um, imaginatively named caveman. Yes. <laughs> yes. And her. She's female and she's her. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he, the doctor picks up a rock and he, said, he says something about like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to go over to him and ask him to draw a map of where the TARDIS is. It's like, you're not giving him a rock for that. You're going to bash his skull in, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. And that's, um, that's a moment that's actually in the televised version too. And that's, Something that really bothers fans because they don't like thinking about the Doctor as murderous at any point. And yet that's obviously what's going on in the scene. In fact, it worries Terrence Dick so much that when he comes back to write uh, uh, the first BBC book, um, The Eight Doctors, in 1996. The Eight Doctors traveling back through his own timeline and visiting all his, his former incarnations at major points in their lives. And he visits the first doctor just as he's picking up that rock and is about to go over and wow, bash Zazen. Yeah, and it's one of those moments where he says, why are you doing this? And you get more into it. The way, I mean, the way you guys are describing it, though, I see it as like, this is their first mission mm-hmm. around other people. And I'm thinking a lot of the other times when he's went to a different place, they've had to just go. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he only had him and his granddaughter and that's who he's worried about. He's right. not worried about who he's affecting because yeah. it's not his time frame. Mm-hmm. And they've already been doing this so long that you're probably just like cold to it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But then you have the other characters like Barbara, who's like, we need to help this person right. because she's new and, you know, softer and hasn't seen all these things so i'm guessing later on they probably start to get a little harder um a little a little bit maybe not so quick to jump but um, there's cross pollination goes on yeah that's that's how i read it as yeah and i I think it's even described that way in the book uh dick says something has ian think something along the lines of just how ruthless is the doctor willing to be to protect himself and his granddaughter Mm -hmm. 
In the next book, he's about to find out just how ruthless the Doctor can get, but that's a story for another time. But yeah, it's it's a bit of an uneasy moment, especially for longtime fans, but I'm sure that's probably, if that's your first encounter, yeah. you're thinking this is yeah. very much... as a first it, encounter, it just seems like a normal thing you would do, you know? So it's very in character yeah. for you? Yeah, mm. for sure. Okay. I could see how after the fact, though, it would make you feel uncomfortable just because you have read all these other things mm-hmm. with him being so, I like, I don't know how he's going to be, right? but um, maybe a little more accepting or a little more into learning about the places he goes. Right. So, um, yeah, to me, it seemed natural, I guess. Yeah. In, in fact, it's kind of strange that by the time you get to the 80s, you've got a whole contingent of fans who are kind of nervous about the fact that he has has a granddaughter in these early episodes because they want him to be this sexless character who doesn't deal with things like sex and family and such yeah. but the first doctor is grandfather yeah definitely he had to have came from somewhere yeah, sort of thing. yeah exactly and a very fiercely protective one at that so that's something that you know, you go back and forth in fandom about that, whether or not the Doctor had a sex life. Obviously, he did. Mm-hmm. Does he have a family? Obviously, he did. Um, you mentioned Barbara, and that was something that I thought was interesting about this book that I had completely forgotten one, because I haven't read this book since the mid-80s okay. when I was a kid. And by then, I'd already seen the episode. No, it was the other way around. It was the other way around. I read the book, and then I saw the episode a few years later and thought, yeah, this is every bit as disappointing as I thought it was going to be because it wasn't it wasn't the Daleks, basically. Yeah. But um, as far as Barbara's characterization goes, what did you think? I thought she would be... I took her as, okay, this is in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a typical woman. She seemed like she was... I thought of Barbara as more of, like, a woman who was coming out of her own time, kind of. Like, mm-hmm. becoming, like, more liberated. Just because, like, she had a lot to say about things. Yeah. Had no problem stepping up type of woman. Um, and for that time, knowing when the book was written, right. I found her to be a little bit more of a, a, a like, a good female character for a book. Okay. That's what I thought of her as, you know, very strong and opinionated and a go-to type of person. I thought she was kind of quiet, to be honest. Really? Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. I For some reason, I kind of felt like the like the entire the struggle. You know, we had the we had the cavemen and and our time travelers, but then within the time travelers, it seemed it seemed like the like the major focus was was a clash of personalities between Ian and the Doctor. As for the other half of our time travelers, I didn't get too much out of them. Hmm. Def- like, there was definitely not a lot of with Susan, for sure. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. yeah. Barbara had a good front beginning part, uh-huh. and as the rest went on, she became more of like a more docile, motherly type of character, I would say. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And interesting you should say that about Susan, because... Susan is ostensibly who the story is about, mm-hmm. because right. the book is called An Unearthly Child. It's Susan. Yeah. And yet, especially with the televised version, she's only the main focus of the first episode, the first 25 minutes. 
by the time they travel back in time, it's all about the damn cavemen. Yeah. And that's where it loses a lot of people at that point. Mm -hmm. I can see that. Mm -hmm. But as far as Barbara goes, the thing that I thought was kind of worrisome is that I don't think Terrence Dix likes her very much because at one point when he's first introducing her, he says something along the lines of, she would have been prettier if she smiled more often. And I'm like, having just come out of the election, that sounds like exactly the sort of things that were hurled yeah, at Hillary. Yeah, that's like the worst thing you could say to a woman. Yeah. <laughs> Any, or about a woman, really. Like, yeah, That's exactly. kind of like a pish posh, like, oh, you'd be prettier if you smiled more. Well, yes. Um, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And if you ever see p- pictures of Jacqueline Hill, who played uh, Barbara, she's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Even if she's got a frown on, which happens with Barbara quite a bit. Resting bitch face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She really has that going on, and maybe that's it, but... He later describes her behavior. He has Ian think um, that she's um, engaging in her usual unthinking bossiness. As a liberated woman. Yeah. Yeah. Woman of the early 60s. Which is just... About to burn a bra. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I mean, that's what I got from her, you know? Like, she's like, we're going to do this, Ian. We're going to go see what's going on. If you want to come, I'm going by myself. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's what I got from her. Yeah. Even though that fades in the end yeah. a lot, but the beginning was very like that. True, but props to her for, for speaking up and saying, we're not leaving this wounded caveman just to die out here. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> definitely. We're, we're taking him with us. Yeah, she's the one that absolutely refuses to do it. As a matter of fact, excuse me, the gender dynamics in this book are kind of interesting because... Even though the main characters are ostensibly the Doctor and Ian, and you say that most of the conflicts between them, it's the women that are really the prime movers in the book, Mm -hmm. because Susan's the main reason we get to the story in the first place. Mm -hmm. Barbara ends up being an impetus of her own. And then you've got, oddly enough, the cave women. You've got her, for instance, who's kind of like this Lady Macbeth character. Mm Mm-hmm who wants very much for Za to be the leader of the tribe and to be his woman. But by the same token, Cal is so much better at everything and seems to be this, you know, bad boy from across the mountains. And she seems to be pushing Za along the path that he's going. And then there's the old mother. We got to talk about the old mother. Mm-hmm. Oh my lord! What did you think of the old mother? Um, she was uh, kind of. You, you brought up the election. She was kind of <laughs> like the. Um, she was pretty much the person who didn't want anything to change. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if we bring fire, everything's going to go horribly, and and that's just how I started. I actually, this will be one of the questions later. I thought she was the worst character. Really? I thought she was even worse than like. Cal. Really? Yeah. In the sense Let's talk that, about that now. Yeah. yeah. In, the sen- in, the sense that, in the sense that, you know, it's like they're cavemen. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're hungry. They have to kill food. Right. You know, you have to tan the skins and cook. They had no fire. Right. The person who was before Za didn't teach him how to make the fire. That was one thing I was interested about, too. Like, what, did he have a book of matches or something? Like, I didn't, or a lighter, you know, like, had this happened before? But anyway, um, yeah, she just didn't want anything to change. And it's, you have to have things change if you're going to progress. Yeah, it's so, like this extreme To me, she was kind of somebody who just wanted to 
under any circumstances keep things the way they were, mm -hmm. even though that wasn't necessarily good. Yeah, it's not very good for the common good of the tribe, is no, it? Because no, they it's only good for fire. her because she's used to that. Yeah, I can see that. Everything you just said reminds me of uh, that one character from High Claudius. Oh, yeah. Which one? Uh, is it Livia? Is it uh, Livia's one that's poisoning everybody else? Yes. Yeah. yeah. How, how so? Because she does have that because quality she's, to her. She's, yeah. she's got her machination. She's she's controlling everyone like, like mm -hmm. puppets and getting everyone to do her will without actually being in power. Yeah, I'm not sure the old old mother has that much power, though. That sounds more like her, because not her could probably turn into Livia. Yeah, yeah be... not that sophisticated, but in... in oh, that... none of them are sophisticated. No, no they're cavemen. So. Yeah, and yet it becomes a political battle. Yeah. It is the weirdest thing. That was something else I noticed about this book. I was like, wait a minute. I'm reading a book about cavemen, and suddenly maybe it's the election we just got out of, but this is firing on all political thrusters. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But you really didn't like the old mother as a character. No, I didn't. I mean, I could understand Carl probably even more just because, I mean, he's from another place. Mm -hmm. He's a good fighter. Um, Zoth wasn't really stepping up. Right. So, I mean, that's what happens in, you know, when you don't have certain things is there's always going to be a fight for supremacy. So I could understand his character. Um but I just didn't like her. It's actually, like I said, she was my least favorite character. Just okay. because when I was reading it, I was like, why would you not want fire? Yeah. You know, yeah. like, why would you not want to cook your food? Yeah. I just didn't understand that. Or to keep the animal, to keep mm -hmm. the beasts away from your tribe while it's dark. You know, yeah. that was another one of the points that they needed fire for, too. So there's the, so the beasts can just come and pick off children and right. old people and, you're cool with it, like, and, and the winter's coming. Yeah, in, in exactly. Fact, it's nice. And, and, and yeah, it's off. nice right now, yeah. and it's still freezing. So mm -hmm. it's like you need these things, you know. Yeah. Um, in fact, there's something interesting that some people have looked at this story and they've looked at the uh, old mother as kind of uh, her worries about fire being reintroduced to the tribe as worries about the nuclear bomb because it is 1963. Mm. And we're not too far away from, oh, God, I wish I could remember the name of the uh, documentary the BBC did right around the same time. It's done in realistic style, but it's about what would happen in Britain if they underwent a nuclear attack. It is terrifying. Yeah. And in fact, they played it in theaters and then they banned it. Yeah. Because it was scared everybody so yeah, much. It, it's terrifying. It used to be on Netflix, hmm. and it's not on there anymore. But that's the sort of worldview that she seems to be coming out of. That technology, even though it can have ameliorating effects, is ultimately damaging. As it turns out, she's right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's it's right, but it's also. I mean, it also comes to the fact of like how far do you want to progress? There's always mm -hmm. a limit. And this is like the beginning of progression. Right. So I don't see it as a bad thing. One thing I'm, I'm kind of sad about is that in not seeing the episode, you can't get Eileen Way's fantastic uh, depiction of that character because yeah. she's just a hag. <laughs> I pictured her as like, <laughs> yeah, I pictured her as like an old crouching woman with mm -hmm. like white hair and... Oh, she's terrible. Yeah, like, yeah. Zah will not make fire. And the way she dies is just kind of sad, too. Yeah. 
Yeah, because... because yeah, Kyle just stabs her right in the heart when she let him go. Mm-hmm. And then tries to frame Zoff for it, but isn't quite smart enough to carry out the yeah, deception. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's well, that's why he's a good fighter, or a good hunter. Right. Yeah. What were some other characters that struck you? The cat. The cat. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the fact that the author took took the time to write like a couple of paragraphs. In the cat's point of Oh, view. that's right. That's right. Um, because you never see it on screen. Never. You never see the saber-toothed tiger in the televised yeah. episode. It's In fact, it's all told from... Um, the camera is from the, the cat's point of view, view okay. with some roars going on on the soundtrack. Yeah, that would have been a hard um, thing to try to prop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. would have been hard to wrangle in 1963. <laughs> yeah. So that impressed you that yeah. he would actually get into the cat's head. Yeah, that, 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 that you actually get the reasoning behind the cat's actions. <laughs> so. What I didn't understand with the cat, though, was... Um, why were they saying they were, like, unearthly? You know, there was a description of the cat, like, saying uh-huh. that it was not, like, um... Like, it seemed to me that it was um, from a different planet, or, like, I got the kind of thought that it might have been mechanical or something like oh, that. Oh, really? I, I think... I Do think, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I think what happened was that the cat was trying to smell them to see what they were about, mm-hmm. and he's like, these people are are weird. They're not like the rest of the Okay, the so it was here. from the it was from the cat's, the cat's perspective. Yeah. Okay, they, see that's they what seem I was alien. like. I was like, is the cat like not from there? No, but or... they aren't. Yeah. So, so then, okay, when it I smells understand. the doctor and crew, it's an alien smell to them. Okay. Yeah, because they're probably got perfumes and soaps and all yeah. that. That the uh, that they don't. Yeah, but even little things like that, dicks tends to get a lot of flack because he, he'd written so many of these by that point and people tend to think of Terrence Dick's style of novelization as very script to page. And that's true. He will go directly from the script and make very little changes and go straight to the page, especially in these later books. And yet there's a lot of innovation going on in this too because you got the cat's point of view, you have... Um, how he changes certain things, especially when they first go into the TARDIS and they are talking to the doctor and I I believe it's Barbara who calls him Dr. Foreman. Mm -hmm. And he says, oh, no, no, my name's not Dr. Foreman. I I just call myself that to get along or whatever. And then Barbara says something along the lines of, what is your real name? And he says, well, I don't discuss my personal life with strangers. Which is weird, because he doesn't do the first part on screen, but he does do the second part. Hmm. He does have, uh, he gets stroppy about discussing his private life with strangers, but that whole business of calling him Dr. Foreman allows them to do the first of many Doctor Who jokes, where he says, huh, Doctor Who? What are they talking about? Dr. (laughs) What? Yeah, exactly. And And he does it like three times in this book. And I imagine that he's gotten sick of it by this point, but he realizes, oh, that's the fans are going to expect it. Yeah. 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 That's what's going to come out of this. Want. We have to do this. The TARDIS not changing shape. Yeah, that was a malfunction, they said. Yeah. The chameleon circuit not working. In the chameleon circuit. Now, I don't know if you remember this, Danny, but in the televised version, it's not called that because they hadn't coined the term chameleon circuit until Tom Baker's last season, which was the year before this book was published. 
So that's Dix going in and doing some retroactive continuity and saying, oh, yeah, that's called the chameleon circuit. Let's put that in there, mm. which is really kind of nice yeah. because later you get things like references to the time rotor, which comes even later. So he is innovating some of it and doing some good ideas with it. What else struck you? What other things did you have questions about? Um, he, okay, this is one thing that I was wondering about. Okay, so this is the first... Okay, this is the first book. Mm -hmm. So while when he got into the TARDIS, the TARDIS was malfunctioning. And that's why he's they're traveling aimlessly through time. Is that correct? Something like that. And he also doesn't really know how to operate it. Right. Okay. Here's here's what I got is that they so they left they've been traveling for some time. They arrived in England in in the Mm sixties. And so they've had time to study, like, the geography, the plants, the rocks, and whatever. So when they accosted the two teachers, they went back in time, and they were in they were in the middle of analyzing the rocks and the radiation and all that. There was that thing with yeah. the dagger counter getting smashed at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So once they're, they're getting in the TARDIS at the end of their little adventure, they're, they're running away, they, there's some line about, well, we didn't have time to, to analyze where we were, where what we time were. it was. Yes. So it's so it's easy to get back and forth when you know where you where you went and where you're gonna go back to. But since we didn't do that, now we don't know where we're gonna go next. Exactly. Is, is that yeah. yeah, that's accurate. Because um at one point the doctor has a line about the urometer being yes. off. Yeah. <laughs> and he says that Susan called it that. Susan names everything mm-hmm. in this book, which is just that's something that strikes me as bizarre even to this day, that Susan says, oh, yes, I made the name up from the initials, time and relative dimension in space, and yet that's what it's been called by all of the Doctor's people. Every time we ever meet them, that's what they call it. It's like, wow, that really caught that's on. That's the root of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it must have been called that before, but he has a line about the urometer being off. Mm-hmm. So they need to, which is weird because this never happens again, they need to do analysis to figure out where they are so they can get a sense of where they've been i guess Mm -hmm. so does that mean that it was just off for that moment or possibly okay because they they took off without any preparation yeah because what it seemed like to me was that there was not it was like totally malfunctioning in in multiple ways well just because the like you said the chameleon aspect wasn't changing Mm -hmm. and um, and the time wasn't you know, working, and mm-hmm. it just seemed like, you know, he was frazzled about, like, working everything. Right. So, to me, it seemed like it was something they had been doing, but maybe not doing... Like, they had been in the 60s for a long time, mm-hmm. and they were just trying to repair everything, it seemed like. Right. right. And, in fact, when... Oh, go ahead. Right. And, and on top of that, it kind of gave the sense of, well, we left the 60s, we went into the prehistoric time, and now we don't know how to get back to the 60s. So you guys are kind of stuck for right. a while. <laughs> and the weird thing about that is that actually becomes a plot point in the third story, which you all may or may not be on the panel for. But there's something called a fast return switch in the TARDIS. And apparently the Doctor can press that and go directly back to the last place they were. Except that malfunctions and they almost lose the ship and their lives. Hmm. doing it so there are lots of reasons not to go back to england they keep coming up with reasons for it but um later stories reveal that the uh the doctor has stolen the tardis from a repair bay 
So it's not in tip-top shape. We find out later that it's very old. Are these, are, are in his time frame, these are made in multiples? What, the TARDIS? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is not a unique It's not ship. like a one ship? Nah. Okay. No. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah. That's how you know I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very much its own thing at this point. Yeah. But later on we'll find out there are plenty of these things. Mm-hmm. It's just, um, by the point that he and Susan leave their planet, they've gone on to, you know, um, sports cars and he's managed to steal a Model T. Which is exactly yeah. the analogy for it. It's just really, really old. Come to think of it, that um, the problem with the ship breaking down and all that, and that's going to be something that's going to come up in the second book too, is the main reason why they're in so much danger at the end. Because at the very end of the book, they decide, oh, we'll go check out the uh, surface planet soon, but let's go get something to eat. Let's take the radiation count. And it reads normal, and it's only when they leave the room that it starts clicking. Yeah, that it's, yeah. Which is going to be a bit of a problem later, because book two, The Daleks, was written about ten years before, and it was written as if this story doesn't exist. So there's going to be some inconsistencies? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, you're going to be introduced to uh, Ian and Barbara all over again. Hmm. And to the Doctor and Susan all over again. And we'll have to talk about how those two introductions are, you know, how they differ and what, which one's better. Favorite scene? Um, my favorite scene was in the cave when they're trying to get away the second time. Uh-huh. And they use the skulls to scare the cave people <laughs> to thinking they're like dead, right. but like zombie dead skulls. <laughs> I thought that was really great. That was oh, yeah. probably, it was a good play on the fact that like, like, cause from reading the book, you think, okay, you forget they're kind of cavemen. Like, you know, they are, but mm-hmm. you forget. But then that like brings you right back to like, yes, these are like extremely simple people. Also too, I like the other part where, um, the doctor gets them to take his way mm-hmm. by having them all take one side by like <laughs> making this big like this big thing about uh what's it's the part where um where at the end when the doctor is getting everyone to go against Kyle yeah. and um he gets them all to go by just being like yeah and da 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 drive them out yeah yeah <laughs> and then they're all like yes yes group mentality <laughs> and like and um that was a good part too I found that pretty humorous yeah and that works well in the televised version as well how about you I was gonna say that the part with the skulls where where they put the fire in, under the skulls and make them think like oh they're ghosts and <laughs> you know they kind of like quickly sneak out like behind everyone yeah. and run back to the TARDIS. Right. I really like that. Um, I I also like the the initial conversation that Ian and Barbara have about Susan and and how there's a lot of inconsistencies coming from a, a math from a mathematical background. It mm-hmm. was kinda interesting to see like her oh, yeah. like they were talking about like she couldn't solve some mathematical problem without three dimensions right without adding the the additional dimensions because she said it it just didn't make any sense otherwise yeah yeah absolutely in fact those early scenes are probably my favorite ones um when they're flashing back to the classroom especially the bit about a british currency Mm -hmm. because at the time the the episode aired 1963 they had not uh britain hadn't switched over to decimal currency yet they were still doing that 
bizarre system that Terrence Dix actually has to describe in the book because right. the very kids that are reading that book won't remember that currency system because these books, I don't know if you noticed this, but these books are targeted towards 11, 14-year-olds. And so none of them would have been alive. But at the time that uh, it was made, they hadn't made that switch yet. There was just the feeling that they would eventually. Mm. And it didn't happen until, I think, 1973. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it definitely foretells the future in some ways, but he's able to write as if it's a done deal. Mm-hmm. Right. Were there any lines that stood out to you as particularly well-written or particularly badly written? Was there anything you just hated? I, I think there was, there was a lot of, um, at the very beginning, there was a lot of uh, descriptions of the Doctor as the old man and... Uh, things like that. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of, of some description, he's just called the doctor without us knowing that's the doctor or my name is doctor or you can call me doctor. There was nothing like that. It, the, the, the the narrative just decided to start calling him doctor from that point on. It, I, it, it kind of made me cringe just a little. Because you were thinking this is if this is the first book that anyone's reading, right? There, there'd be much more of you know a, a little fanfare. Yeah, I could see that. Did it strike? Yeah, mine's kind of on the same level or same wavelength. Um, like for me, it being the first book, um, like I said earlier, there was no real descriptions of anyone, um, or of anyone's past, or mm-hmm. you know what I mean. And and usually reading a book for the first time of any series, right. um, there's something like that. Um, and I didn't get any of that. So that was kind of a little, off, like, not off-putting, but just, like, mm-hmm. I wanted to know more. And I'm wondering if that was deliberate. <clears throat> I'm wondering if that's a sign, one of the few signs we can see of Dick's having to rush this out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because he got two weeks, and this is going to air on TV within a month of publication anyway. Yeah. So he says, well... Everyone kind of knows or what these knows, people look so like. so let's not get into it. Yeah, that might be it. Which is weird, because if you get to the later books, there's always a description of how the Doctor looks. The other characters, not always. Mm-hmm. And after a while, it's almost as if he's got them on macros. Because he's like, oh, Tom Baker, curly hair, long scarf, da-da-da. Or Joe is described this way, or Sarah Jane's described this way, and the descriptions keep coming up, and you're like, oh my god, okay, fine. But this time, you're right. There isn't really a yeah. description of Barbara except that she's be prettier if she smiled. Yeah, like I, I you can't really um, pinpoint anything really about anyone. You know, it's just mm-hmm. all kind of in your mind. Like I see Barbara as being like a, you know, medium sized woman with like blonde hair. I mean, really? I don't even know if she has blonde okay. hair. Okay. So you know what I mean? Oh, like wow. that's just. I mean, I'm probably <laughs> totally wrong. You know what I mean? Like, and that's just because, like I said, I've never. Seen the, I've seen new mm-hmm. Doctor Who episodes, right. I have, um, but I've never seen the old stuff. So I, to me, like I'm thinking of her as like this typical 60s woman with the flip hair really? and like the head, yeah, that's how I'm seeing her. And, you oh, know, wow. so. I'd be interested, I'd be interested to hear your reaction to like a cast photo or something like that if, yes. if you could pull it up. In fact, yeah, if you do a Google see. search. Okay. And do I uh, image search for... Do I just look up her as a character? Yeah, if you look up Barbara Wright. Yeah, because uh, it's interesting because in the movie version, 
uh, the first right. movie, right. Barbara is kind of a strawberry blonde. In fact, she's more of a redhead, I believe. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, there she oh, is. Oh, okay. I'm yeah. totally off. <laughs> um, I did, I mean, I, now that I see her, I could see that being school teachers. Yes. Yes. Yeah, because he says that she's very school. Maybe I'm right. just getting, I'm thinking of like Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> Maybe that's They're why my mind, you, my mind went to that probably. Yeah. If you look at that second one, in fact, that is a publicity photo. For those of you listening at home, it's the fairly iconic photo of Jacqueline Hill in front of a book and she's looking off to the side of the screen and she's got this fairly lovely, uh, what would you call that? A, a coat? or a uh, Yeah, like a, like a jacket. Yeah. Because like a more of like I would say when women first started wearing pantsuits, mm-hmm. like a longer jacket pantsuit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, though uh, the closest you'll ever see Barbara Wright to a pantsuit is that she uh, wears leotard pants in the second story and occasionally <laughs> throughout. She's got a very uh, momish way of yeah. dressing, really, which is a shame because... Jacqueline Hill, if I remember correctly, was only in her mid-30s at the time she made Yeah, this they show. definitely make her look a lot older than I would have thought, mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. sure. She's, but she's an absolutely gorgeous woman. No, she's, yeah, she is. If you're, going, if you're trying to figure out what she looks like from the description in the book, you can kind of see it, but even the description of her dark hair isn't. Yeah, that. no, it's yeah. not. And Ian, good lord. Uh, from my own experience, having read so many of these books before ever seeing a Hartnell episode when I was a kid, Ian was nothing like I expected him to be. Hmm. He was ne- never what I expected um, William Russell to look like. Okay. You know, and except the weird thing is in this book, for some reason, Dix repeats the description of Ian taking things as they come twice. Yeah. He just loves that line. It's, it's like he's this on the fringe of being a hippie type of thing. Like, More like laid an back. action man. Like, yeah, like I kind of got him as like a guy who's like really, you know, okay, we'll just do it. Like, you know what I mean? We'll just take it as it comes, you know. <laughs> Which is so strange because Ian is very not laid back. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's the one who freaks out when they go into the TARDIS so yeah, much. He, yeah, he freaks out way more than she does. Yeah, sure. and Barbara's like, no, I, I just believe them. That's all. I'm willing to give them a chance. He's like, I can't believe it. You know, one of the great things that's Ian. See, now Ian was like how I would have expected. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, in fact, that second picture is the publicity shot from that first episode. Yeah. That's that's exactly how I would have thought. Now, you haven't seen the first Doctor, Susan, right? No. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Because I meant to ask you what you thought of the description of the first Doctor, as Dix does the uh, description, because I, I think he's got him spot on. He really captures that quality that Hartnell has. I, I personality-wise, clothing-wise, sure. Mm-hmm. As far as like the look on his face, the general look on his face, not really. It's hard to capture that though. Yeah. I mean, Hartnell gets that weird twinkle in his eye even when he is being, you know, bad, mm-hmm. which is quite often. Mm-hmm. And you found the shot of Susan. I mm-hmm. saw. Uh, interesting story behind that. That is the first Vidal Sassoon haircut to ever appear in the television show. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because that's he right. was a young hair designer nice in London. Nice cut. Yeah. Wash and set hair. Very mm-hmm. um, unearthly at the time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. In fact, when she told him what he uh, what she was doing, 
he said, let me do something strange with your hair. I'm, I'm sure you'll love it. Yeah. And that's the wow. haircut. Yeah, it's definitely before it's time. Yeah, before, before it's time. Yeah. You wouldn't so, imagine. So very, very modern for then. Very mm. futuristic yes. for that time period. Yeah. And definitely for a 15-year-old who's being played by, a, I believe she was a 22-year-old actress at that point. She already had a child of her own. Mm. Oh, how could I forget that? One of my favorite scenes is when the doctor's trying to reassure Barbara in the cave, and she says, you're trying to help me, why? And he says, well, fear makes companions of us all. Mm -hmm. And that's a line that's going to be a plot point in the new series. In fact, you may not have gotten to that episode yet. Mm -hmm. But when you hear it again, you'll be like, oh, that's all the way back from It's a reoccurring hope and fear. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it goes all the way back to the doctor's childhood, as we find out. What we are going to do is go to the Goodreads website because other people obviously have some opinions of this book. I'm stealing that line from How Did This Get Made podcast. And this book has been rated 574 times on that website with an average rating of 3.67 out of 5. And a few of the reviews are kind of, you know, exactly what you'd expect. But Alejandro, for instance, who rated it a four stars, says of it, It's quite amusing reading how an advanced alien scientist from the future wasn't able to make fire simply because he lost his matches. Which makes sense because Ian's the one that does the fire. Yeah. Which is just bizarre. Oh, the doctor's smoking. Yeah, the doctor's smoking. And on top of that... Ian has his matches in his pocket the entire time. Yeah, was it? Yeah, because they made a point of, of pointing that out. Oh, I think yeah, they did. They I did. thought I thought they were. I forgot about that. Because that was he probably picks up all his stuff. Right yeah, there. I, oh. I was wondering when that was going to come up. Okay, I didn't catch that. I, I, as soon as I heard it, I was like, "That's a Chekhov's gun right there." But <laughs> and no, it never comes up. Nope. They they have to make their own bow and drill to make fire. Yeah. Which is how they end up doing. Well, maybe they were doing something like the Peace Corps does, where they do something. That's... Yeah, but also too, I mean, that that's more of an effective way to give teach people how to make fire, really, that's because true. then it's something they can like do that on their own. Yeah. It's now, when you run out of matches, out. like, what are you going to do then? Yeah. And that's that's the part where they were like, oh, he knew how to make fire, but he didn't show us. He just put his hands in the. That's the part for me the, the where I was like, leader. where. Did he find it? And how come he never... Well, I always thought that it's because <clears throat> the way this tribe looked at things was that the person that could create fire was, was the, the fact of yeah, the Yeah, and you didn't want to teach anyone because if you did, they had they were on par with you. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Whereas that, that makes sense of uh, Ian's line... In our tribe, the fire maker is the least important person. Yeah. Because everybody can do it. And to some degree, that's true. Because we have matches. We have um, lighters. Yeah. We have technology. It's not in as other words. big of a deal. Yeah, exactly. Someone had even read, after watching the DVD of the original episodes. In fact, Tiffany Sherum gives it four stars, but... It's interesting what she says. It's a lot better than I expected. I mainly know this story from watching the DVD of the original episodes and always consider the Cavemen storyline to be one of the more dull Doctor Who episodes, only really notable for being the first journey scene. I kind of have to agree with that. The book, on the other hand, made the story a lot more engaging. The characters are a lot more memorable when you're reading their associated character names and thoughts. 
rather than watching the episodes themselves where there's a lot of unintelligible floundering around. In short, it took a bad Doctor Who story and made it much easier to follow and is such much more entertaining. Absolutely. You know, which is, I don't know, it's kind of downplaying that first story. But yeah, that, that first story, if you're watching it, it's difficult to watch it. Yeah. It goes, it I can goes see on. how the book is probably better. I mean, that's typical, mm-hmm. but I could see how if you were to have... Um, I mean, the episode came out in the 60s, right? Right. So I can see how it would probably just look like a really bad B-flick, like Barbarella. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's very slow. It it has that sort of pacing. I can see that. Oh my God, when Mm -hmm. is this going to go on? Yes. Um, Not so much in this story because it was a Mm four-parter, but the Dalek story coming up is seven parts, and you just want to kill yourself by the end of the fifth episode because it's just like, oh my God, they're throwing a rope across this chasm. Oh my God, they're going to do the whole 25 minutes right here in this cave. Oh my Lord God, Jesus. I could see that. Yeah, Yeah, so there is that. Um, There was also Patricia. I'm going to have Danny read this because it's in Spanish. Uh, muy buena esa novelita, la primera que leo de Doctor Who. Al que le gusta la serie, aunque no haya visto nada de la serie original, esa novela le va a encantar. Narra el principio de la serie como el primer do- doctor. Me encantó. She said, it's a very good novel. Uh, the first one that I've ever read with Doctor Who. For anyone who has watched the TV show before, you will like this this novel. Yeah, this is the, the first story with Doctor Who. Yeah. I loved it. And the weird thing about that review is this book was never released in Spanish. Hmm. So I'm wondering why that review was written in Spanish. I mean, yeah. I can kind of read Spanish even though I don't speak it very well. So maybe it's reverse. Yeah. Well, if, you know, if someone is actually trying to learn English, by yeah, reading, they usually. And I mean, it's a good book, like you said, it's for eleven to like fourteen year olds. So I mean, it would be a perfect starter. Yeah, yeah. definitely. In fact, I was trying to pull up the. There's French no review. really big words that like you'd have to like look up in the dictionary or anything. Right. Right. Yeah, which is one of the things. In fact, for the longest time, these books ended up being bought by school libraries everywhere. And they would get stolen from school libraries <laughs> wow. everywhere because um, kids love them, obviously, but also they were right at the level that was getting people interested in reading. Yeah. So a lot of writers for the new series and even the producers have have credited these books as the reason why they became writers in the first place. Wow. Probably not this one, though. <laughs> <laughs> if you were going to rate this book on a scale of um, five stars... What would you give it, Sheena? I would give it like a a 3.8. Okay. On what basis? On the basis of the fact that I have never read any other books in the series. Um, It gets a high rating because it was a a good read. Mm -hmm. Um, It kept my attention. Um, I wouldn't say it's the most exciting of stories. Right. So that's why I wouldn't give it higher. Right. Um, but I did I did enjoy it, so three point eight probably be my rating. Okay. All right, Danny. Four stars. I I I agree with you. I, I like the fact that it kinda having watched the actual episode itself, I like that it condenses down a lot of the padding in that that it 
it really gets straight to the meat and potatoes of, of what the story is about. Mm-hmm. It's not overly complicated. There aren't a lot of convoluted twists. It's a lot of, it's a lot of, yeah, I could see why this character feels the way they feel. Mm-hmm. It's straightforward that way. Okay. So, yeah, it was it was a fun little adventure for for first first adventure. Okay, and <clears throat> as for myself, fourteen year old me probably would have given it a two. Because it's just like, oh, God, caveman. And I've never liked caveman at all. But reading it as an adult now, um, I'm realizing just how much he added to the story and also made a story that I have difficulty sitting through interesting and exciting. And not just because I knew we were going to be recording the podcast. I was like, oh, God, I'm actually enjoying this. So, yeah, I'd probably give it probably more of a 3.5 so does it make you excited about the next one definitely yeah i'm i i didn't want to rush into it because i was like (laughs) i don't want to read it real fast you know because i read pretty fast so i was like i didn't want to read it now and then like you know i wanted to give myself some time when i like something i like to like get into it mm-hmm. and I usually read things incredibly fast okay. and then get everything jumbled. So I didn't want to do that to myself. Yeah, okay. I'm excited to read the next one. Yeah, because I think you're in for a treat with the next one because the first uh the next one is the first one. Yeah. The first novelization yeah. ever done. And I'm actually interested now that you said that they reintroduce the characters. I'm interested to see how they introduce them. Yeah. yeah. We're going to have a lot to talk about when that comes up. The reason why that happened, but also what it means in universe. Mm-hmm. Because there's some interesting stuff going on in that book. But, uh, Danny, you're excited about it? Yeah. the I think that first book, the way they left it off with, you know, the little mystery at the end, it left me wanting more. Like, I want to read the next one. So, okay. Yeah. Even knowing that you're going to have to go through the introductions all over again. That's totally fine. <laughs> all right. Well, terrific. Thanks, guys, for being part of this first podcast. And thank you, fellow time travelers, for giving us your valuable time. Next time, we will indeed be reading Doctor Who and the Daleks, or as it's more properly named, deep breath, Doctor Who and an Exciting Adventure with the Daleks. That is the name of the book. (laughs) And next time, I'll even have the Japanese title for you, because the Japanese title is, it defies description. Yeah, it's bizarre. In the meantime... If you like what you've heard here, like us on Facebook, and you'll be entered in our first Target Book giveaway. This time, some lucky fan randomly will be picked by me and get a gently used copy of Doctor Who and the Aztecs, which we'll be discussing quite soon in this program. Uh, Check out our Facebook page at, deep breath again, Doctor Who Target Book Club Podcast. All one word, no spaces. For more details. Also, feel free to give us a thumbs up on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter. We're at DWTargetBC. Or subscribe to us via the podcast provider of your choice. If you really like us or you feel exactly the opposite way, post your comments, suggestions, questions on any or all of the above platforms or email us at DWTargetBC, all one word, at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening and enjoy. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.